0: If this is your first time or your first time in a long time, so thrilled to have you. Let's give our guests a great welcome this morning. Glad you've joined us today. You may be kicking the tires on church, and we're glad that you're kicking our tires. So we want you to dive right in. This is one of the best times you can be a part of our church, and I say that. Uh, it's, there's a double meaning to that. The reality is I'm in a series called All In, and hopefully all of us receive the book. If you didn't receive a book uh, in the house, would you just quickly raise a hand? Our team is standing by. I see somebody down here and down here and down here. I'll see that hand. i see that hand. And uh, we want to just get you hooked up, so just kind of put a hand up for a few moments, and... Uh, we'll we'll get you started. This is a great time to be a part of the church because we are in a mission critical season uh, of our life. Uh, We're 90 years old this year and in 10 years when we celebrate our 100th birthday we don't want to celebrate saying oh that was nice let's go to bed at 4 we 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 want to we want to celebrate saying look what we were able to do in the last decade of ministry look what god did through us all glory goes to god because what he wants us to do in the next 10 years is humanly impossible by our own hands our own standards but if we will lean into god trust with all of our heart and lean not on our own understanding he'll make our path straight. He'll provide what we can't provide on our own, but we've got to lean into him and go all in with Jesus. And so that's where we're headed. That's where we're headed over the next uh, uh, couple of years. The all-in booklet that you have in your hand, hopefully you're, you're reading through it. Hopefully you're doing the devotions after every message. Uh, I, I invite you, if you haven't been doing that, uh, our team was diligent in putting all of this together so that it would be a right hand to you in your devotion time, in your quiet time. We are talking about finances during this series. And like I said, if you're a guest and you're visiting and here we are talking about money, I know that church just after my money. No, you got us confused with Walmart. Walmart's after your money. But but what we're saying is we want everything for you and for the kingdom of God. And it's very important that as your pastor, that I talk about good things that everybody wants to say amen to, and then other things that everybody says, well wait a second, Pastor, I don't know about that. We gotta talk about stuff because if 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 he if he can't be the Lord over your finances, how how is he gonna be the Lord over your attitude? How's it gonna be the Lord over your marriage? How's it gonna be the Lord over your your, your heart? Because what he wants is your heart. What I want you to do is I want you to turn to page 54. As you're turning there, I want to remind you that next Sunday night at 5 p.m., if you're a member of the church, if you want to just come and hang out and watch how we do a little bit of business, for less than an hour, we'll probably gather together. We'll celebrate what God's done in 2016. We'll also ratify two new deacon members to be part of our seven men deacon team. And uh, that'll be a blast. It'll be five to six on Sunday, next Sunday night. And the reason we're doing it at that time slot is so it doesn't interfere with the 80 plus groups that are going on across Wednesday nights and Wednesday nights all throughout the week, but that's a time where we can all come in and do a little bit of business. So if you can join us, uh, great. If you can't, we understand. You'll be able to uh, catch up uh, the next week on uh, seeing the report of what God was able to do through us in 2016. Page 54, what I want you to do is take the very top of your page and I want you to write the word recap. Because over the next few moments, I wanna just recap a couple of staple statements over the last three weeks. And then I wanna talk about really what God is, is wanting to stir in us today on week four. So to recap, would you write this down? God is asking us when it comes to this all in initiative, this two year approach to stewardship and finances and to these initiatives, God is asking us, will you cultivate a yes God heart? Because if you can get your heart in the right place, if you can have a yes God heart, everything else flows. In fact, the Bible says in the book of Proverbs, guard your heart for out of it flows everything in life. So if he can get your heart in the right spot, he can get everything else in the right spot, but he's got to start with your heart and it works outward from there. We want you to live a yes God life, not because I want you to live a yes God life, because that's what God's calling us with the yes God heart to live a yes God life and then leave a yes God legacy. How many of you want to leave a legacy? Huh? Whether you raise your hand or not, guess what, everybody? You're going to leave a legacy. Every person that's breathing will leave a legacy. And you, will choo- you, you get to choose a little bit of your legacy. You 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 can say, well, you know, because of this or that, I just am who I am, or you can surrender to the right heart, let God cultivate a yes God heart in you, live a yes God life, and then when you are long gone someday, people are gonna join up in this church or at Caraway or, or, or at Gibson or somewhere, and they're gonna stand and walk by a casket, and there are gonna be people that are gonna say they left a yes God legacy. That's what I want for my family. That's what I want for your family. It's what I want for your children and your children's children for you to leave a yes, God legacy. That's what he's asking us to do. God is also saying, don't just believe in me. Don't just believe in me. Trust in me. Last week, I showed you the wheelbarrow and talked about in the 1800s, Charles Blondin taking, taking a wheelbarrow across Niagara Falls on a tightrope. And when he got done, everybody was cheering. Thousands had shown up. And he said, how many of you believe I can go back across with the wheelbarrow blindfolded? And everybody, like, yeah. How many of you believe I can put someone in the wheelbarrow and take them with me? Yeah. How many of you will volunteer to get in the wheelbarrow? Cricket, cricket. Because it's one thing to believe, it's another thing to get in the wheelbarrow. And God is inviting all of us to not just give lip service to a belief in God, but to trust him with our actions, to get into the wheelbarrow. By the end of this service, if you've never trusted God with your heart, with your life, you'll have an opportunity to pray a prayer together that you would ask inviting Jesus to be their savior. To basically say, God, I trust you. I not only believe you, but I trust in you and I will follow you. Guide me. I'm in the wheelbarrow. God is honored. Last week we talked about trust and honor. God is honored when you give him what he wants, when he wants, and how he wants it. The same way that we honor our fathers and mothers, students and children. We honor our fa- father and mother. We honor our parents when we give them what they want, when they want and how they want it. If they want you to clean the room, then you, you clean the room. And when they said clean the room and how they said clean the room. Stuffing things under the bed does not equal a clean room. And God's just saying, honor me with your heart. That's what he wants, he wants all your heart. He wants you to have the right heart. And how, when does he want it? He wants it first. He wants everything first. Why? Because he's creator God who holds the galaxies between his index finger and his thumb. And he says, give me first in your life. Your first time in the morning, your first part of the week, your first questions when you're trying to make a decision, your your, your first ear when you have something that you're worried about, when you're anxious about something, when you're Give me your ear first. Don't put Facebook first. Don't put, put me first. Even with your finances, put me first. You know, it takes zero faith to put God last. It takes real faith to put God First, today we've talked about those legacy elements. We've talked about trust. We've talked about honor. Today we talk about transformation, write the word transformation. Do you know that there is no greater person on the stage of human history that has made more transforming work upon this planet than Jesus himself? No one's transformed the world like Jesus. Some unknown carpenter's son in a tiny town in the Middle East. And we're talking about him 2,000 plus years later because he's transforming the world one person at a time. I don't know if you'll be able to write these down. You may want to. Jesus never wrote a book, but yet there are more books written about Jesus than any other character in history. Jesus never composed a song but there are more songs written about Jesus and the Lord and and, and faith in God than any other topic. A close second is country songs about your truck and losing a woman. But first (laughs) is Jesus and what he's done in our lives. Jesus never drew a picture other than maybe the picture he drew in the sand when someone was thrown in front of him, He never really drew a picture, yet there are more priceless works of art dedicated to the stories of the Bible than any other topic. Jesus never traveled far from home. I mean, he only got really about 40 to 45 miles outside of of the radius of Jerusalem and Bethlehem. And yet here we are thousands of miles later and on every continent, there are billions of people That have heard the name Jesus. Wow. Wow. You know what's what's crazy about all this? Is when Jesus was alive in in the flesh, he's still alive, but when he was in the flesh, he he didn't call up, you know, the Jerusalem Gazette. He didn't call up the Bethlehem Wall Street Journal. He didn't get a bunch of uh, uh, award-winning journalists and bloggers to get together and send out a message. He didn't have a Twitter handle. There was no Facebook page. They had like, you know, clink, clink, clink stone and they had parchment paper. He did not have this huge system. Do you know that when Princess Diana died years ago, it took 11 seconds for that information to travel across the world? Once that was reported to the news, 11 seconds. And we're we're talking about, There there is no news outlet, and yet it's traveled all across the globe, the power of Jesus and his name and his work and who he is and what he wants to do through you. Here's what's crazy about it. He didn't use the Twitter. He didn't use the Facebook. He used regular dysfunctional people, like normal, weird people, fishermen, like deadliest catch fishermen. He used prostitutes, tax collectors, wannabes, people that nobody else would have paid attention to in the climate of that culture. And he used, you know why? Why why, why did he do that? That, that, That's that's really the question. What did Jesus see in them? What did Jesus see in these, in this Samaritan woman at the well who has been married four times and the guy she's lived with now wasn't even her husband. And yet he uses her to go tell an entire city about what he's done. What did Jesus see in them? Well, I'll tell you, Jesus saw the same thing in those disciples and those men and those women, the same that he sees in you and me. In fact, you may want to write it down in your notes. Jesus sees through who you are to who you can become. He sees through who you are to who you can become. One of the very first examples is we see uh, Simon, son of John. He's a fisherman. Jesus comes up to him and says, Simon, son of John. That's what your parents named you. I'm going to call you Cephas. Cephas. We call Cephas in East Texas. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Cephas, which, which when translated means Peter. He said, I see something beyond what your parents saw in you. And you know, some of you are living on that. You're struggling with that. Because all you can see is the identity that someone else put on you. Jesus sees way beyond who you are to who you can become. Some of you are living in identity, a failure. That's, all, that, that's the only thing identifying who you are. Jesus sees beyond your failure to who you can become. Jesus sees beyond what you've done, what you are doing, to who you can become and what you can do. He sees that in you. We see in our character study of Abram. We see the same thing God sees through who Abram was to who Abram could become. And in Genesis 17, we read this story about Abram who had been called out of his land had trusted God with everything uh, that, that, that all of his possessions, his wealth, he had become a fortune five hundred company. He had split the company between his nephew Lot and himself. He let Lot choose the lush looking land that, that looked like you know Hawaii, and 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 Abram trusted God with you know, Carson City, Nevada, and yet. God had a way of seeing beyond what Abram could see in Carson City, Nevada, and to what it could become. It was gonna be the dwelling place of descendants and through all of his generations, all of his seed, the whole world would be blessed. And it's through the line of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, then to his fourth son, Judah, that we are now through the tribe of Judah, the line of David, we have Jesus and all the world has been blessed by Jesus. But we read up in Genesis 17, verse one, we read, when Abram was 99 years old, so just a young guy, okay, just a young pup, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. Serve me faithfully and live a blameless life. I will make a covenant with you by which I will guarantee to give you countless descendants. Descendants. What a covenant. At this, Abram fell face down on the ground. This is not the first time God has told him this. This is now the third or fourth time God has said, I'm gonna make you into a great nation. And it's been almost 25 years, 24 years, because the first time God talked to Abram about this whole seed and generation and all these descendants was when he was 75 years old. He's waited 24 years, still hasn't seen what God had promised quite yet. Abram fell face down on the ground. Then God said to him, you know what What I find there? Just because you're waiting on God, don't stop giving him the reverence he deserves. Don't start giving him the respect. He was waiting on God. And he said, I'm gonna give you something. Now, if, if you've been waiting on something, if somebody, you call on somebody, say checks in the mail like nine times. When they say checks in the mail the 10th time, you're probably not gonna fall down and say, oh, thank you. No, you're probably going to tap that toe, cross your arms, like, mm-hmm, yeah, yeah, yeah. You owe the child support, bucko. Abram could have said, okay, God. Okay, what, fourth time's the charm now? But he still trusted God. Even when God didn't quite, I know this is hard because we don't like patience, we don't like perseverance. We don't like discipline, but it is in these moments of quiet, in these moments of trusting in Carson City, in these moments of not knowing where the answer is gonna come from, that God develops something in Abram. Is he perfect? No, he's ready to make several mistakes in the next few chapters, but he's still trusting God. He still has the right heart if he has the right, if you have the right heart, God can do a lot of things. He's looking for your heart first. From the abundance of the heart, your life will speak. Your mouth speaks, but your life speaks. He says, this is my covenant. I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. What's more, I'm gonna change your name. We just went through a name change. It will no longer be Abram. Instead, you will be called Abraham for you will be the father of many nations. Now look at this. Abram's 99. Do you know how many kids he has by this time? Zero. Nobody. Nope, 99. God's telling you, going, to have babies. He's going, you know, Sarah's in the background going, yeah, this, this oven ain't baking no bread. <laughs> but here's what's crazy about the story for 99 years, Abram's been living with that title. And you know what that name means? Exalted Father. He's 99 and he's not a father. He's 99 and he's living in an identity that his parents gave him that he's never been able to fulfill. And for the last 24 years, God is saying, not only will you be an exalted father, you're going to be a father of many nations. And that's what Abraham means, father of a multitude. And he says, God, you're wanting me to be this guy, but I haven't even been this guy. You want me to accomplish this, but I haven't even been this. God sees through who you are to who you can become. And you've got to trust his process in you. Trust his process. Jesus sees through who you are, to who you can become. It's why we say around here, your God given potential is our mission. Now, that doesn't mean that your God given potential to be the best you that you can be um, and succeed in the world's standards of success and climb the corporate ladder all those things have their place but your God-given potential is found through the word and his greatest potential for you and for your children and your children's children's children is that they would know Jesus personally and deeply That's your God-given potential to know him deeply. He is not a God who chooses to separate you from a chasm from heaven to earth. But because he so wanted personal relationship, he bridged the divide of heaven and earth with his one and only son, his most prized possession in heaven, spent it on you to bridge the gap so that you can know him personally and deeply. And not just that. But then you can find freedom in him from what's holding you back. Some of you know him, some of you love him, many of you, you love Jesus, but you got junk holding you back. That's not your God-given potential. Your God-given potential is to know him and to find freedom in him, to then discover the purpose that he's placed in you for such a time. Do you know there's two very, very, very important days, the most two important days that you, were, you, you, you have in this life. Number one, the day you were born the second most important, the day you figure out why. The day you were born, the day you figure out why. Because Jesus sees through who you are to who can, you can become. Listen, 65-year-old. You're not done. Listen, 85. I just had my beautiful Momo celebrate 85. What, what, Momo. Yeah, yeah. Can I get a what, what, Momo. <laughs> Whatever. Oh boy. What, what? Momo's 85 and still cleaning her gutters out on the roof. I mean, that's crazy. Just mowing her lawn. Hey, what's up? Because she's not done with her God given potential. She's still got some life to live. She's still doing well. She's got, what, at least two or three more years, right? I'm kidding, Momo. You got a lot more than that. You got a lot more than that. What I'm saying to you is you're not done. Abram was 99 and he was just getting started. And your God-given potential is to know him and to find freedom and discover purpose in him. And then not just on your own to experience all those things and say, thank you, God, but that you would, you would go beyond yourself and make a difference with who you have become in him. It wasn't just for Peter's benefit that he became the rock. He was to, he was to engage and empower Peter to make a difference for the kingdom. And we're talking today, because people leaned in to their God-given potential. That's what God's called us to do with you and for us to do with one another. The reason why we say it this way, your God-given potential is our mission, because no matter who you say it to, it's your mission and my mission and the church's mission. So when someone at Cracker Barrel says, what's that church all about? Your God-given potential is our mission. They don't even go to the church, but you know what? We believe, you gotta believe it's not just for us. It's beyond us. Your God-given potential is our mission. That's what it's about. Not just me, not just us, yours. In in the book of Romans, the apostle Paul talks about how we engage this God-given potential, how we start looking in the right direction towards your God-given potential. And in Romans chapter 12, he writes this, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world Because how many of you know the world would love to show you how to live? The world would love to model for you, this is the way. Oh, tonight, the Oscars. The Oscars. This many people. Going to be the voice of America tonight. Going to tell you what's up tonight. I'm going to get my popcorn and watch something else. But, well, easy. It's not like I, it's not a very spiritual thing. I just like to watch other things. (laughs) You know, it's not like I'm boycotting. I'll probably record it and watch it later, to be honest with you. Don't copy the behavior or the customs of this world. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you dress. Wait, no, that's not what it says. Let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you talk, by by changing the way you look. The church for so long has been about behavior modification. Change the way you behave. But if we don't get to the root of changing the way we think, how I think affects how I feel and how I feel determines how I act and how I act Shows the world whether I've been conformed to him and transformed by him or I have got the same behavior and customs of this world. So it's all right in here. And God wants to transform you through the way you think about things. The way you think about things. In Luke chapter 16, Jesus gives us a story about how to think about money, finances. Your heart and your money are combined. Show me your checkbook and your calendar. I'll show you what you put first. It is not an indictment on anybody that your heart and your treasure are connected. It's just a matter of fact, your heart and treasure are connected. And in Luke, Jesus talks about this parable. It's a very interesting and sometimes misunderstood parable. Let's jump into it. Jesus says to his crowd, there once was a rich man who enlisted a manager to take care of his property. Just to get yourself straight in the story, the rich man is God or, or Jesus. The manager to take care of his property is like we're represented in the story. That's us. We're managers. Okay? Let's keep going. Now, the manager was accused of wasting his master's possessions. Jerry was the manager. And Jerry was wasting the master's possessions. So the owner called him and said, hey, Jerry, you must now give me an account for your stewardship, Jerry. I want you to report what you've done with what I entrusted to you, Jerry. Because your time as a manager is ending, Jerry. Basically, you're fired. (laughs) So the manager thought, "Ah." Jerry thought, what am I gonna do now? I'm losing my job. I, I'm not gonna have a job. I'll have no food. I got no job. He says, I'm not strong enough to, d-. I was about ready to go to a dumber and dumber thing there, but, but it will go on. For those of you that don't know, just move on. I'm not strong enough to dig ditches and I'm too proud to beg. I know what I'll do. Do we see a pattern here? So that after I lose my job, I will have plenty of friends to take care of. <laughs> Some of you like, you that's, that's your friend. You're taking care of them. And you're like, Jerry, get off the couch. Jerry, if you're gonna eat the cinnamon toast crunch, replace it. He's like, I'm just working on a few things, man. I'm working. I'm going to this new you know, investment strategy thing at the courtyard. Get off the couch, Jerry, go get a job, Jerry. But he's getting it all figured out, isn't he? So Jerry, here's what Jerry does. He calls in everybody who is in debt. If you're, if you're Jerry, by the way, we're glad you're here. I'm not, refer- <laughs> I'm not referring to anybody in particular. I just like the name Jerry for this story. So he called in, Jerry called in everybody who was in debt to his master. And he asked the first man, hey, Bob, Hey, Bob, how much do you owe my master? Bob says, 800 gallons of olive oil. He replied, why do you need 800 gallons of olive oil, Bob? He's like, don't ask no questions. (laughs) We could guess what he was doing. The manager said, okay, tear up that bill, Bob and write a new bill instead of 800, say you only owe 400 gallons. He's given, he's given Bob a 50% discount. He's, he's removing, doesn't have the, the ability to do so. He doesn't have the freedom to do so, but he's saying, I'm gonna give you a 50% discount on that olive oil, Bob. What you do is what you do. Next, the manager found another debtor and asked, how much do you owe, Keith? And Keith says, I got a thousand bushels of wheat. So Jerry replied, uh, or, 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 or Keith replied The manager said, okay, okay, okay okay. Change your bill to say you only owe 800 I know you owe 1,000, you only owe 800 He wasn't as close to Keith as he was Bob He only gave Bob, Keith, a, a 20% discount, okay Now The other foot drops When the master heard what the dishonest manager had done He, st- he still praised his shrewdness? What? Now, now, no, let's get this. He didn't praise his dishonesty. The master didn't praise his dishonesty. What he did is he saw this huge scheme. this all this effort to gather everybody together and try and get himself in good with Bob and with Keith. And he saw the shrewdness, the intellect, the, the, the go get it kind of mentality, the drive, the woo within him. And he said, hey, this guy's got shrewdness. He's he's got a get her done kind of mentality. You got to hand him that. And here's what he says. For worldly people are more shrewd in handling their affairs than are those who belong to the light. And it's an indictment. It's a no-no. It is a tragedy that the world would be creative and have a get her done and have a let's do all we can to get all we can mentality and a shrewdness when it would come to wealth, Than those in the light that were just be like, huh, eh, whatever, and not look at their finances like the, the, the owner's finances that we are entrusted to to take good care of and steward well. Don't do this with money. It's basically the lesson in this, in this story. And here's what we learned. Here's a few lessons. Let me give you like three or four of them right here. Write them down in your notes. Number one, don't waste it. The Bible said the manager was accused of wasting his master's possession. We love to waste money as a culture. And before you know it, it's gone. You can put $20 in your pocket, like, where did it go? Pfft, Houdini. Because we just, whatever. We just waste it, can waste away. Don't waste it, you gotta steward it. Number two, don't love it or live for it. Later in that same passage, Jesus says, you can't serve both God and money. You would think he would say, you can't serve both God and the devil. You can't serve both God and sin. You can't serve both God, light and darkness. But he says, you can't serve both God and money because what he's referring to is the fact that money gets a hold on people. Instead of you having a hold on money, Money's got a hold on you. Money's got a hold on this culture. And furthermore, let me say it this way. If it weren't true, you wouldn't have people saying, well, the pastor's talking about money. If If I sit here and I say, I want to talk to you about how to trust the Lord, amen. But I want to talk about how you can trust the Lord with your finances. Oh, what's the catch? What's the gimmick? Oh, here we go. Timeshare sale right here. No, there's something about our finances that get us wrapped up because we put so much faith in them. We, we put so much trust in them. I don't know what I'm gonna do. I don't know how where I'm gonna go. What if I lose my job? You get freaked out like Jerry. You start coming up with your own solutions, your own portfolio, your own, your own ideas. And God says, whoa, trust me, Jerry. Don't love it or live for it because you can't serve both God and money. But if you serve God with all your heart, your finances should follow. If they're not following, you need to check your heart. Number three, don't trust it for security. Remember what the guy said? Jerry said, I'm gonna lose my job. And we trust in ABC Inc more than G-O-D. Look what Proverbs three five says, your money can be gone in a flash. As if it had grown wings and flown away like an eagle. Some of your money's like, ah! <laughs> See ya! Come back, come back, Shane. Don't do this with money, number four. Don't expect it to satisfy. If I just make a little bit more, if I just have a little bit more, if I just build a little bit bigger, if I just get a little bit sleeker, if I just, if I just have a, a little bit more money to make me a little bit more sexy. Don't expect it to satisfy. Ecclesiastes 5.10, whoever loves money will never have enough. And whoever loves wealth will never be satisfied with his income. Has anybody ever been there? If I just make 10,000 more a year, and some people, they take on new jobs that they aren't quite, like isn't even in their wheelhouse to get 10,000 more of income, and they become incredibly dissatisfied with life, and their marriage struggles, and their kids struggle, and they struggle, and they got the extra 10,000, and then they look back and say, where'd the extra 10,000 go? And now they're miserable because they're chasing the wrong satisfaction. Guard against all kinds of greed because your life is not measured by how much you own. Listen, listen, listen. I'm not here speaking from a world of wealth and perfection on this. I can get greedy. And there is not enough money in the world for all the greed. But do you know there's There is enough money in all the world for all the need. You know how much America spent on weight loss supplements and products last year? 65 billion dollars. We spent 65 billion dollars to try and lose extra weight. While over four years, if we put 65 billion a year into helping countries that legitimately need the help where the resources could actually get to those that are hurting, you would solve a lot of hunger issues and we're, we're spending it just because we're fat. You know why? Because it's just a sign of who's going to be the master. Who's going to own it? Who's going to be first? Who's got your heart? What's got your heart? Your life can't be measured by how much you own. Do you know, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai. We read this already. But you know that word El Shaddai not only means God Almighty, it's also translated as all sufficient one. More than enough. And God says to Abram, I am more than enough, God Almighty. Don't trust in your timeline. Don't trust in your own finances, Abram. Don't trust in your own strategy. Trust me first, I am all sufficient sufficient let's do a little test whose name whose last name is on uh on a one dollar bill you can say it it's okay Washington yes thank you thank you Thank you. some of you are like I don't know all I carry is Benjamins <laughs> speaking of Benjamins who, who Benjamin Franklin's on what dollar bill bill. Hundo. Okay. Who's on a $20 bill? Jackson. Jackson. What about a $10 bill? Hamilton, I got you in there. I got you in there. Whose name is on all of it? Yeah. Yeah. He's the all-sufficient one. He's the all-sufficient one. And you can trust God to be El Shaddai. Or you'll trust L. Jeremy, L. James, L. Rob, L. Danielle, La Daniela. <laughs> He's the all-sufficient one. Are you with me this morning? Don't copy the behavior and custom of this world. Let God transform you into changing the way you think. So think about money like this, and write these down, I'm gonna go fast, here we are. It all belongs to God. Everything you have, when you wake up in the morning, your feet hit the ground and you're ready to go, you've got to remind yourself it's all His. Because if you don't, you'll drift into thinking it's all yours. And that brings pride, and God opposes the proud, and He gives grace to the humble. So when we wake up with humility, we say, God, I've got a job and it's because you've blessed me. God, I've got money in the bank. I'm, I'm gonna turn on the water and water's gonna pour out the spout today. Thank you. I'm not gonna take for granted the little things and we humble ourselves and God gives grace to the humble, but he opposes the proud. And those that wake up and say, it's all about me. I've got this. I'll do this. That's a Jerry Hart, the, the, the shrewd manager. Have the right heart. It all belongs to him. Number two, God is using money to test me. It is a test. It's a test. It's a test. It's not a wicked test. It's not a surprise test. It's not a pop quiz. He put it all throughout the scripture. You're gonna be tested on this. Whoever's faithful in small matters will be faithful in large ones. Whoever is dishonest in small matters will be dishonest in large ones. Be faithful with the small stuff. If then you have not been faithful in handling worldly wealth, which is a test, are you gonna handle worldly wealth? How can you be trusted with true wealth? which is really your heart and the destination of your soul. That's true wealth. And if you've not been faithful with what belongs to someone else, which what you have is all belongs to God. If you've not been faithful with what all belongs to God, who will give you what belongs to you, which he's the one that gives you what you're really looking for. And that's eternal salvation. Your life is a vapor and then it's eternity. And how you live in this vapor is setting you up for eternity. If you trust in your money, Proverbs 11 says, you will fall. Kind of sounds like trusting the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding. So if you trust in your money, it's like you're gonna lean on your own understanding. And if you lean on your own understanding, you're gonna fall. But if you trust in God, you'll flourish like a green tree. Number three, use it for God's purposes. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, they will welcome you into your eternal dwelling. Let's break that down. What? Use wealth to gain friends? What's up, everybody? I'm looking for some friends. No, no. Because it's going to be gone. But when you use worldly wealth to gain friends, what he's talking about is use your wealth in a way that gains friends for eternity that gains friends for a purpose, that gains friends because they will welcome you into your eternal dwelling. See, Jerry, the shrewd manager, he was all worried about his temporary dwelling once he got let go. He was worried about this dwelling. Who's gonna take care of me? But when we're wise with our wealth, we're wise with our trust, we're wise with the all-sufficient one, and we walk palms up with him, we then use our wealth wisely, and it's for gaining friends in the right way, and that's for eternity, and they will welcome you into your eternal dwelling. None of us want to make it to heaven alone, do we? You got a husband, you got a wife, you got kids. You got nieces and nephews, cousins, uncles, and aunts. You got grandkids. You got sons and daughters. You don't wanna go to heaven alone. And it's key that our perspective is right, that we leverage ourselves for the kingdom of God, because everything else is just sandcastles. That's why we're creating community destinations where anyone can find and follow Jesus. From right here expanding our footprint to Nacogdoches on September 10th of 2017 this year when we launch a whole new location, a brand new campus of Timber Creek Church in Nacogdoches. Why? Because we have a lot of people that travel from that area and it's not to make it convenient for them. It's so that they can invite their friends and their friends will come to a place that's in their own community because that community deserves, I believe that community needs a church just like this in Nacogdoches. I believe it with all my heart. And I believe Jesus wants that way beyond Nacogdoches. He wants it across the timber country of East Texas churches where anyone can come in and they are they are not judged the moment they walk through the door it's okay to not be okay but it's not okay to stay that way and they get on God's plan of knowing him and finding freedom and discovering purpose and making a difference in their own families and their own relationships with their own associates, with their own neighbors and we create a community destination in their backyard too where anyone can find and follow Jesus because at the end of the day we're going to leverage every dime of this church not to set a legacy of building buildings and hear me very clearly unless god does something radical my plan is to be buried with this church that you would survive and i would be buried someday that's 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 if god allows jan and i to stay here to a ripe old age right 99 years old and my wife not whatever 39 plus If people get up in a funeral someday and say, man, that guy really led church to to build buildings. I don't want that said. I hope people will say, he led the church to discover their God-given potential. And generation after generation were changed, not because of what he did, but because of what God did through them. That's what this is about from the prison campuses? Men and women have been forgotten and cast aside by society. Have they done wrong? Yes. Are there people that that are there because they deserve to be there? Yes. But their soul matters to God just as much as yours. And we wanna create a community destination within incarceration. I didn't mean for it to rhyme and I'm rhyming on a dime every time. God wants us to do with our wealth Something that is way beyond ourselves. And it's going to take all of us going all in. Jana and I, we wish we could pay for the whole thing. God's not, I mean, as many times as I've sent you to Shreveport to pull the slots, she hadn't come back with 8 million. Somebody's saying, Pastor, I'm playing that lotto every day. And I said, stop, (laughs) more for the kingdom. If you just give that dollar and something right at the offering, then you you, you, stop. We're gonna create community destinations where anyone can find and follow Jesus. And that's the all in goal. From water wells that become community destinations and villages that just need a drink of water, everybody to Nacogdoches to Jerusalem right here, our own harvest. We're going to build it. We're going, we are going to take care of every single inch of square feet that God has given on this 25 acre property. This is going to be an oasis in the desert. You think we ought to have that nice of stuff? When is enough enough? Until all people are saved, then this, this church ought to be a beacon across the loop that when people drive by, they say, man, they must take serious. They, mu- they must really believe in what they're doing for them to sacrifice to create a community destination like that and their kids are like you know puppy dogs up against the glass (laughs) I want to go to that playground I want to see that that's cool I want to be there and we invite people onto this play onto the playgrounds outside and the legacy paths and flowing streams and little ponds where you can fish and before they're even attending the church they've been on this campus and we believe that not only did the presence of God dwell with you but I believe there's just something about a 90 year old church I had a church planter come and spend a day with me a few months ago And he said, Jeremy, when I walk onto this campus, there's something about this campus. And I said, I know it's not the brick and mortar, but you know what it is? It's 90 years of prayers of young and old that have established an environment and a place where you know it. Some of you've experienced it. You've come onto this campus and you've teared up. You've come onto this campus and God's changed your life. You come Because the presence of Jesus is working within his body for us to go beyond our borders and create community destinations. The all-in goal in the next two years is for us to receive eight million. We're gonna to have to double what we're giving in order for that to happen. We're gonna to have to almost double what we're giving. Let me explain to you how this works though, okay? Let's split this room into two groups, okay? From here over, all right? We receive about $2.1 million a year in charitable giving and in in tithes and offerings. And let's split the congregation now. Half of the congregation. Hi, everybody, how you doing? Okay, this half of the congregation, half of the congregation gives 97% of the income that we receive in the church. 97% 97% from half. The, the, the other half, we receive 3%. Hi guys, how you doing? Well, you're not in trouble, okay? You 3%ers, you're not in trouble. You're good, we're, it's all good. This, this half isn't more loved by Jesus or more loved by the pastor. What I'm showing you is the reality of this. There are many of us that have never stepped up and trusted God with our finances. And there's another group of people that they have engaged. Now, are you in trouble? No. Do you you wanna feel, I don't want anybody to feel bad. I want us to be aware. The truth is, if we receive 2.1 on half the congregation, what might God do when those that aren't doing anything would step up and do something? And that's really, this isn't the goal. It's a secondary goal. As I've mentioned before, if someone writes a check for $8 million, I'll kiss them right on the cheek. My wife says, start saying cheek, start saying cheek. I don't care, I'm gonna kiss them on the lips and tell Janet that I kiss them on the cheek. <laughs> but if we received a check for 8 million, we still, still do it because that's not the goal. The goal is 100% participation. It's everybody doing their part. It's everybody doing their part. Do you know that a few weeks ago at the end of January, we got our staff together, our pastors and our staff. We said, guys, we can't talk to the church about anything unless you guys are leading the way, unless you're leading the way. And I'm asking you, we prayed, we talked, we were, we were at a friend's house, beautiful home. And we were, we were there, we we're talking. I said, are you all in? I said, yes, pastor, we're all in. I said, okay, if you're all in, you see that pool out there? He said, yes, pastor, what are, you, what are you doing? And I said, all of us are gonna go jump in that pool to show we're all in. And you know what? All those knuckleheads jumped in that pool to say we're all in. In fact, I think we caught it on camera. Check it out. <laughs> Are you down, did it down, did it down, did it down. got to lead and it was so funny we didn't get on camera that uh like all 20 of us were then in like a hot tub that seated eight we were all in there together it was like soup in there after we were all done. We were, it was so cold steam was going everywhere we, we took some pictures for blackmail later but but we all we, we all going all in but we we can't just be the staff it can't just be a half it's got to be all of us It's gotta be all of us. In your book on page 18, you can turn there later, but I basically got it right here. Our team's put this together. Every one of you, you got God-given potential when it comes to your finances. And I'm inviting all of you to take a next step that if you've never trusted God with your finances, to step and emerge into giving, to begin some where you don't, right now, you don't come even thinking about finances. In fact, you look at your finances and say, what am I gonna do? How am I gonna do it? There's no way. And you, you look on the all-sufficient one being you. And I wanna invite you to look to El Shaddai, the all-sufficient one and say, what might we do if I, if I do something, something? And those of you that are doing something, it's on occasion, that's okay. But maybe you need to step it up and become consistent in your giving that on occasion you would give this or that if you had something in your pocket, but you would say, you know what? No, every week or every paycheck or every month, I'm gonna put God first and I'm gonna give him something, do something. And those of you that maybe have been here, it's time or you're here and you're gonna make a, you're gonna leapfrog. You're gonna say, you know what? I'm gonna trust God with a tithe, which is 10% of your income. That when you get a paycheck and it's $2,200 or you get a paycheck and it's, $1,000 and you get a paycheck and it's $74. That 10% of that goes, you know, I'm just thankful he didn't ask for 90%. You got 10 cookies, he didn't ask for nine cookies. He asked for one cookie. And some of you give him just a bite of a cookie. You're not even with the one cookie yet. Give him a bite. Some of you gonna give him half of your cookies. Give him a half of a one cookie, right? Don't be a cookie monster and eat all the cookies. Some of you, you know, you've been tithing for a long time. It's time to step up and go above and beyond even what God expects you. And, and it's a beautiful thing. Jana and I don't know what it's like not to tithe because we had parents that tithe. And we grew up in the church. Tr- and some of you, you didn't have that privilege. And you're living life and you're 12 years into marriage or you're, 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 you're three years into college. And you've never even really done this because you never saw a model. How am I going to go from debt and this and payments and like, you know, Here's the truth, everybody's tithing right now. Every one of you are tithing. It's just that that 10% goes to Honda and it goes to Chick-fil-A and it goes to Home Depot and what I'm inviting you to do is begin to say, God, everything we have is yours and I show you by putting first your portion. Not everybody may get here. Oh, that you would, I promise you there's benefits, but I'm not twisting your arm on it. Let's take next steps. Take next steps. Some of you are going to step up here. Regardless, don't stay where you are. Jesus sees beyond where you are to who you can become. And there's something beautiful about trusting him with your wealth, whether it's a lot or a little. You have a lot. I've been to Malawi, everybody. I've been to Haiti, everyone. I've been to Costa Rica. I've been to Brazil and I've been to downtown Dallas. A lot of you have a lot. You're blessed. Trust him. <sighs> would you ever, everybody take out the two-year all-in commitments right there in your seat back pocket? Whether you're, what we want everybody to participate. If you're a guest, I still would love for you to just take a peek at it. Just, just take it. Just put it in your hand. Get comfortable with it. Hit the person on the forehead next to you with it. No, don't do that. But I simply want to give you a, a, few, a few thoughts before we're done and we're almost closing So you're gonna fill this out next week. We've been doing this for four weeks, everyone. And and trust me, do do, do you really think that like this, I'm just living to be up here talking about finances for four weeks? (laughs) No, but I love you too much not to do it. And I love the vision God's given us too much. And I care too much about the people that you care about too, to not talk about it. So, you're gonna fill it out. And then you're gonna, on this part right here, you're gonna check mark. When you bring your commitments next week, you're gonna check, I'm moving to become a tithe giver or emerging giver, or extravagant giver. And we're gonna celebrate every step. Every step matters. Every step matters. But here, let's say that you're Jim and Nancy and you've given $600 emerging giver. Last year, you gave $600 to the church to the, to the kingdom of God through the church. and that's not your tithe. Maybe you make a whole lot more than that. But you say, you know what? Me and my family, we're going to add $1,400. We're going to expand our giving, and that's going to come to our total new normal giving next year, starting April 2nd, $2,000. Times two years is what? Oh man, you guys are on top of it. But then also Jim and Nancy say, you know what else? Um, We have savings, and we're going to give $500 out of savings, and we're going to give 4,500 is our all-in commitment. There are other people, Bob and Sue, that they've not been giving anything. And you know what, I'm glad they're here. I'm glad you're here. You, you, you have a place here. Whether you fill out a card or not, I still wanna be your pastor. This is not about you filling out a card. It's about you trusting God. But you say, hey, you know what? We make 36,000 combined income. We don't make a lot as a family, But we're gonna start tithing, we're gonna tithe $3,600. That means their total is 3,600 and over two years is 7,200. And from a gift of stored resources, they sell a couple things, they have a garage sale, they take some savings and they are able to add 1,800 in savings to this initiative. That's that's over two years, $9,000 to go from zero to 9,000. Whoa, but it just takes steps. I don't know what you're gonna give and I'm not compelling you to give any number that I would give you. I'm I'm compelling you to pray. Remember that everything you have is God's. Don't let this culture sneak into your thinking and let you think that it's all my, what I'm gonna do with my money. It's God, what do you want me to do with your money? God, what do you want me to do? And whatever number he gives you, you do it. Pray about it. I'm inviting you, though, to go from your head to your heart. Because where your heart is, that's where your treasure will be. On Big Give Sunday, April 2nd, a month from Commitment Sunday next week, we will start. So you've got a month to prepare. You've got a month to look at your finances. You've got a month to, to, to do whatever. And on Big Give Sunday, April 2nd, first Sunday in April, we're going to give the largest offering in the 90-year history of our church. It's going to be fantastic. It's going to be huge. We're going to celebrate. You know what that's going to do? That's going to give us the seed to be able to launch our Nacogdoches campus, to be able to get into the prisons, to be able to start more work on the expansion of Jerusalem and global impact. We're going to do it. We're going to get it. And 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 it's going to take everybody doing their part. Just with the 100 people that I've already talked with that have brought in their commitments, they have already doubled what they were currently doing. And you know what? That's a good sign because that's what it's going to take. It's going to take all of us trusting God. It's going to take big, crazy, audacious faith. But God can do it through you. He can. Trust him. And we're going to give Big Give Sunday. And I invite you to take a portion of your gold, this portion of your savings, whatever it is, and give it on that day. Number four, number four, think about money like this. One day, I'll give an account to God. One day, the owner's gonna come home and say, or you're gonna go to heaven and he's gonna say, what'd you do with everything I I gave you? You're gonna give an account. It's what we just read in Luke 16. Go ahead, guys. You must now give me an account of your stewardship and report what you've done with what I entrusted to you. Give me an account of your stewardship. We're all stewards, not owners, we're stewards, not owners. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance? Yeah, it's it's not just like crazy talk, it's true. You know, a gentleman brought a check the other day, three days later, a real estate deal the size of 10 times what he had given. Opened up in Louisiana. I find that very interesting. He called me up and said, man, I'm, I'm just getting, this is crazy. Look, what, God did this and I trusted him with that and he opened this. I think the more I do, the, I, I, I just think I'm going to trust him. I said, I think you're right. Go for it. talked about in God we trust but on also all these coins you can read on the edge of the coin if you didn't get a coin you can get one at the kiosk it's a gold coin representing the one bag of gold that the that the other parable the talents the one guy he didn't invest it he just buried it and on commitment Sunday we're going to bring those gold coins back and we're going to bring our commitment card and we're not going to bury it we're going to give it and we're going to give our commitment card and God's going to bless it but on this you'll read on the edge e pluribus unum in 1800s and just kind of default official motto of the United States, out of many, one. You know, in the 1950s, they, in Congress, they changed the motto, the official motto of the United States. It's also on there. In God we trust. Out of many. If we will follow the one vision God's given us out of many if we'll follow the one God and we trust in God. Who knows what more he'll do, what more he'll bless, what more he'll give, what more he'll speak. Speak, Lord, because we will be the men and women that trust you with everything. Would you pray with me? With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I've talked a lot about money today. But can I tell you, the most prized possession Jesus is after is your heart. If he can get through you to your heart, he can radically change you. But you've got to let him. And if you're here today, and it's not about trusting him with money right now, that's that's way that's way off the radar. Right now, it's your heart. It's your anxieties. It's your worries. It's your... It's your regrets, it's your failures. It's you. It's you living by a name someone else gave you, and Jesus sees beyond that name to who you can become. And if you're here today and you need to invite Jesus to be the Lord of your life without hesitation, you know it's you. If it's you, without hesitation, I want you to shoot a hand straight up in the air right now. I need Jesus to be the Lord of my life. I need Jesus to direct my steps. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, four, five, six, seven, several people. I need Jesus to be, the. anybody else? Anybody else? In your own words, you would pray this prayer. You can put your hands down. You would pray, Jesus, be the Lord of my life. Take my sin away. I'm lost without you. Sin separates me from you, and I don't want to be separate. I don't want to do this on my own. I don't want to be identified by my own name. I want to be identified by your name, by Christ. I want to be a Christ follower. And I surrender to you today transform me Lord by renewing the way I think because it will affect my life thank you for not being mad at me Jesus but giving me this opportunity to make things right with you I give all I am and all I have to you Jesus for those of you that are struggling with trusting God in the financial process and your finances I want to pray over you God everything we have is yours may we live it out May we speak it out. May we wrestle it out. May we trust in El Shaddai, the all-sufficient one. Way beyond trusting in Jeremy, trusting in Bob, trusting in Jerry. We trust in you, Jesus.